Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your worship service. As you've heard me share every week, then when we talk about this word sacrifice, it's not in our modern understanding of the word sacrifice. Where we'll think, well, if I'm going to sacrifice something, that means I have to give up something or I need to work extra hard or sacrifice my time or sacrifice my energy, sacrifice my money. We, that's how we think of sacrifice. But he's talking about a physical sacrifice. Remember, he's writing to an ancient audience who lived in a time of temples where people would bring either an animal or a grain or a liquid and place it on the altar and leave it there. It is a physical sacrifice. Now, if you brought a sacrifice, you didn't bring it and take it back home. The whole point of bringing the sacrifice is to leave it on the altar of God, right? How many know the high, high priest and the priest would side-eye you if you put the sacrifice there, made a dedication, and took it back? The purpose of the sacrifice is to leave it at the temple. And so Paul is using this analogy and saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's not calling you to die. He's calling you to live for him. Jesus has already died for you. And Paul says later in his writings, it just makes sense for us to live for the one who died for us. So living for him takes decisions every day, throughout the day. Depending on the day, maybe several decisions every single minute. Moment. If we're going to be a living sacrifice, but too often in the body of Christ, we present our bodies on Sunday and we pick it up on Monday. We're supposed to be a living sacrifice and stay on the altar of God. Just like we all have some type of reverence, some more than others, for the house of God or coming to gather. We have a type of reverence because we respect the gathering of God's people for the purpose of hearing from God. And we show that by sometimes the way we act, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, but that's a different message. When we gather because we have respect to the community of believers meeting together to hear from God. If we have respect for that, and we should, then we should have respect concerning how we live our lives. If we can live with reverence in the house of God, then we should live with reverence in our own house. Because just because you're not in this physical building or in this time where we meet doesn't mean you're not the temple of God. You are still part of the body of Christ, whether you're in this house or outside this house. We are to be living sacrifices and live in dedication to God. We don't just consider it. We don't just go with the popular phraseology. Well, it's my body. I do what I want to do. Well, if you're heathen, go for it. But I thought we were the saved, sanctified. Blood washed, filled with the Holy Ghost, going to heaven, the mighty burning fire. And if that's the case, then we don't do everything our body wants to do. Because just because your body wants to do it doesn't mean you should do it. If you let your body do everything it wanted to do, you'd be dead. 
in many different ways. See, the thing is, eating a piece of pie late at night, it's not the best decision, but if you only do it a couple times a year, it's not that bad. But, you know, your body may want that sweet potato pie or that apple pie or that cherry pie. It's like, stop, Pastor, I'm already hungry enough. At midnight every night. And how many know if you do that every single night, eventually, not immediate, you're going to have some issues. And see, the thing is, people think when they do something wrong, immediately something happens. And when it does, it's like, oh, it must not be that bad. And so they wind up in a situation caused by the small habits they've been doing every single time. And see, while having a piece of pie is not a sin, it tastes sweet just like sin. Because even Hebrews says, sin is fun for a little while. Oh, pastor, sin is not fun. Oh, I guess you didn't do it right. Even the Bible says sin is fun. But it says for a little while. Why? It's fun till you have to pay for it. It's fun until the price tag is revealed. Because the scripture says the wages of sin is what? Death. So just because a lightning bolt didn't zap you from heaven because you did something crazy doesn't mean God's okay with it. Because you're expecting God to punish you for your sin, and he's not. Why? We'll get into it in a moment. He put your punishment on Jesus. And so the stuff that happens in your life because of your sin does not even come from God. Why do I know that? The scripture says that if you sow to your flesh, of your flesh you'll reap corruption. So there are things that happen in your life that, so, oh, God did it because I, you know, I did this. No. It happened because of the seed you sow. You sow an apple seed, eventually you're going to have an apple tree, and eventually it's going to produce apples. Now, although God put the laws in motion, when we plant an apple seed and we see the tree begin to grow, like, oh, look at that. Did you see that one day God came down from heaven and he put this twig in the earth? That's not what he did. There are laws in the earth. And eventually, if it's allowed to grow and produce, it will produce apples. The laws of seed time and harvest works on both sides. And just because you haven't seen your harvest yet, doesn't mean you're going in the right direction. It just may mean you have a little bit more time to pray for crop failure and stop the foolishness. You know, he even talks about in Psalms, don't be envious of the wicked. Because it looks like everything's going right. It looks like they're prospering. But the scripture says, watch out because they're going to slip. And their destruction is going to be evident to everybody. So don't be jealous because it seems like wicked people are getting away with stuff. Nobody gets away with anything. Just because you don't see it on social media doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And plus, speaking of social media, stop judging your life by people's highlight reels. You look at their Instagram page, oh, their life is so good. It's so perfect. Yeah, with enough filters, anybody's life could be. Don't judge your life by someone else's highlights reel. Judge your life by the word of God so that you can be a living sacrifice. Because it goes on and says, and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
The New Living Translation says it this way, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. So that you may prove for yourselves what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. One more translation, the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I go to James chapter 4, verse 7. Now, we've talked about the renewing of our mind. Renewing is simply renovation. When you renovate something, you take out the old and you put in the new. And we have to renovate our minds. It is a continual process. And how do we renovate our minds? With the word of God. When you are born again, your spirit will save. You are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and the control center of your emotions. And you live in this physical body. When you got saved, your body didn't get saved. Which is why some of you are still shocked that after you left the altar, your body still wanted to do the same things. And then you were further shocked when you had a bad thought later. It's like, oh, I thought I got saved. No, you did get saved. Your spirit got saved, but this mind of yours has to be renewed, and your body has to be controlled. And I made this statement last week, and I'll say it again. And if you don't think for yourself, somebody will think for you. And the person who thinks for you most likely won't have your best interest in mind. So instead of just going around with what's popular or what's trendy, Learn to think for yourself based on the word of God. Which means you have to continually check your thinking. Or as the scripture says, take every disobedient thought captive. Say, well, I grew up in church. I don't need to renovate my mind. Yes, you do. Even if your church was full of the word and taught only the word and let the Holy Ghost move. You were in church maybe an hour and a half to three hours a week. Or depending on the denomination, maybe five hours. Six, seven, something like that. But compare that to every hour of every day and what you may have got at school or got at home or got from TV or got from the community and the culture around you. That's why you continually have to be in the Word to check your thoughts. Because just because you're going right one direction on the one day doesn't mean a year later you're still going in the right direction. Even a degree off with enough time can cause you to be in another city if you're flying an airplane. How much more your life and dedication to God? Just one degree off. And the thing is, the way the enemy works, he's subtle. It's not always someone showing up in a red suit and a pitchfork with horns. Because if someone showed up like that, you're like, oh, that's the devil. I can resist him. 
it's subtle. John 10, 10 calls the enemy a thief, right? That word thief in the Greek means a pickpocket. A pickpocket steals through deception. Satan prefers to steal from you and you not knowing he's involved. And not knowing he's involved until after you've taken it. It's like, oh, something happened. Now, his deception keeps working because, oh, something happened. You don't think, oh, the devil did it. Oh, God did this to me. God was trying to make me humble. God was trying to teach me something. God is not going to use Satan to teach you something. God gave you a teacher. His name is the Holy Ghost. And if he wants to teach you, the Holy Ghost will teach you. John 15 says he purges us or cleanses us through his word. God does not need to hire the devil to teach you something. You may be hard-headed, but you ain't that hard-headed. Well, James 4, James 4. Verse 7. We have to make sure we don't just take these religious notions and just let life happen and thinking, well, this is the will of God because it happened. A lot of things happen in the earth that's not the will of God. Why? There are 7, 8 billion people on this earth who got wills. Just because it happens doesn't mean it's the will of God. The scripture tells us it's the will of God that all men be saved. Everybody, every single person. Now, will everybody be saved? No. Because they have wills. They have choices. To experience God's best for you, to experience the will of God for your life, you have to line up your will with his will. And if you don't, you won't experience God's best for your life. And you might say, oh, God wanted this to happen in my life. No, he didn't. We blame so much, so much on God. And it wasn't him. James 4, verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit means to yield to God's will, to yield to God's word, to yield to God's plan for your life. Believe what he says about the matter. So the thing is, although we live in 2021, we don't progress past the word of God. We believe what the word says, no matter if society says no. No matter if your famous politician says no. No matter if the social media or media says no. If the word of God says it, we choose to believe it. So that means how the word defines morality is how we define morality. How the word defines holiness and sin is how we define holiness and sin. We don't change the definition just because the year has changed. We have to be people of the book. We have to believe what the word says and act like it. Especially if we want to live as living sacrifices and be part of the resistance. Because it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's hard to resist someone if you agree with his lifestyle. It's hard to resist someone if you subscribe to his philosophy. And it's hard to resist someone if you're his biggest PR agent. You have Christians who are living holy, but all they talk about is what the devil did. Ooh, did you see what the devil did over there? Did you see what the devil did over there? And you just call everybody. Ooh, look at the devil. Did you see what the devil did? Ooh, let me hit share. Ooh, oh, that was just, that was from hell. Let me share it. Ooh, look what the devil did. Let me share. Can you believe he gave a lap dance to the devil? Let me share it. Really? We share what the kingdom of darkness does more than the kingdom of darkness does it. And they pay people to share it. We have to rethink how we view things and our actions. 
because we share and tell everybody about it, but we don't dare resist it or rebuke it or pray. But we'll give Satan free publicity. And we've developed in our consciousness an itty-bitty God that fits in my suit pocket and a big bad devil. The way some Christians talk, you almost feel sorry for God. Like, well, what is God going to do about the devil? He's called the almighty God. And he says he already put the devil under your feet. So the question is not, what is God going to do about the devil? What are you going to do? It says, resist and he will flee. So if he's not fleeing, you're not resisting. So if the devil's not running from you, then maybe you need to make some adjustments. If it seems like Satan is your roommate, maybe you need to make some adjustments. Because it's hard to resist him when you open the door and say, come on in. So that's why it says first submit yourselves to God and then resist the devil. And he will flee or run from you in stark terror or try to escape you. If he's trying to escape you, then that means what's in you is greater than what he's got. That's why the scripture says greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. You and Satan are equals. When you are born again, you are born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Which means the word of God himself, Jesus, his spiritual DNA is in your spirit. You have already been made greater than the devil. You are born again into the God class. You are not God. Don't get that twisted. But God himself lives in you, rests upon you, and you are made in his image and his likeness and his DNA runs through your spirit and you are a child of the most high God. Satan is not in your class. He is not your equal. He is a fallen angel. He got kicked out of where you're going. We're living our lives expecting to go to heaven. He got kicked out from there. Now, Pastor Deborah said it this week at the ministerial conference. Like, how stupid do you got to be to get kicked out of the place we're all trying to go? But we make this big deal about what the devil's doing. And the scriptures resist him and he'll run from you. That's why we call the series Join the Resistance. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We'll do a little bit more review as we turn there. And I encourage you, if you miss any of this series, you'll find it on YouTube and our Faith Plus app. We said to join the resistance, you will have to make a stand against the enemy. Often it may make you seem like an alien to the culture, but you have to stand and live God's way anyways. When you make a stand for God, expect supernatural assistance. A lot of times, we think about it this way, and it's taught this way. Well, when you make a stand for God, you'll get persecution. Satan will come against you. People will talk about you. We already know that's true. How many know that's true? Anybody need preaching that that is true? You get that, right? 
But why do we expect Satan's forces to advance against us, except not expecting God's forces to assist us? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace for making a stand for God, supernatural assistance was there. When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den for making a stand from God, supernatural assistance was there. Did not the scripture say, my grace is sufficient for you? So it doesn't matter what comes your way, because Paul is replying about the attack of the enemy. And God says, my grace is enough for you. Another translation says that my grace is like a wall between you and the enemy. So stop focusing on the attack of the enemy that comes when you make a stand of faith, when you make a stand for God. Make your focus on the assistance that heaven will supply. Because also when you look at sacrifices, especially in the Old Testament, when sacrifices were offered in faith, there was always a response from heaven. Remember Solomon's temple and the glory filled the temple. Remember Elijah on the mountain praying that short prayer and fire fell down from heaven. There was always supernatural response from heaven when a sacrifice was offered in faith. And you live your life as a living sacrifice with faith in God. There will always be a response from heaven. And it's not about what you feel. It's not about if you got a spiritual goosebump. It's about knowing that no matter what, God is with you. You're a believer. God is in you. You're baptized in the Holy Ghost. He's upon you. He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. It says he's made you more than a conqueror. It says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Thanks be to God who always gives us the victory. So that means we got to step up and resist and expect heaven to show up. And stop glorifying the enemy. And glorifying his forces. You got to make a stand. Well, pastor, how long do I stand till you win? Because if you're willing to stand forever, you won't have to stand that long. And a lot of times, we want things to change that we took 40 years to build. God, change it in four seconds. You've been working at this 40 years. Give Jesus some time to unra unwrap what you created. He'll do it, but you have to stick with him. You have to stay standing. Stand. And having done all, stand, Ephesians says. So after you've done everything God has told you to do, keep standing. Or as Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 15, be unmovable. Be steadfast. Always abounding. Always excelling. Always overflowing the work of God. Knowing that your labor for God is not in vain. It's not worthless. We, if we want to be part of resistance, we got to be stable. Do you know what this world needs? Stable people. In a world that is rapidly changing, they need someone who can stand strong. Even Jesus uses the example of the parable of the, of the seed, the mustard seed, that grows because the biggest tree around and all the fowls of the air can lodge in its branches. You have to be stable and grow in faith so somebody can lean on you. Until they know enough so they can lean on God and become a tree themselves that other people can lean on. Your obedience to God is not just about you, your four, and no more. There's somebody on the other side of your obedience. There's somebody that needs to see you stand for God because it will inspire them to make a stand. 
Think about this. We're inspired because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel stood for God thousands of years ago. We're inspired by their stand. There's somebody in this day who will be inspired by your stand. There's some of them who will never open up a Bible, but they'll look at your life, and from your life, they'll hear and see about Jesus. And they'll look as well, Jesus can do it for them, and just maybe. Just maybe he can do it for me. If I stand like them, then maybe I'll get help too from God. They're looking at your life. That's why Paul says we are living letters read by all men. Your life might be the only Bible someone reads. What is your life saying? That's why we have to stand in these last and evil days. Because the days should not be defined by what Satan does. The day should be defined by what the church does. Because as he's coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a church filled with the glory of God, a church walking in triumph, a church walking in victory, a church who is a salt and the light of the earth, that's what he's coming back for. Not a church hiding out in its prayer closet. Like, oh, come back, Jesus. Come on. Come on, get me, Jesus. It's bad down here. Ooh, we had COVID-19. Ooh, Jesus is bad down here. He says, when he comes back, will he find faith in the earth? I just believe God wants to come back and see us doing what he called us to do, not hiding out. We're treating the return of Jesus like it's a black ops mission. Like Jesus would come on these helicopters and go in under the cover of night and pick you out. It's like, let's go back to heaven. That you need to be rescued. You're the army of God. You're the church of God. You're the children of God. And as Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or its saltiness, wherewith shall it be salted? Then it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Salt is a food preservative and flavoring agent. It has been used to preserve food for many thousands of years and is a common seasoning. In the food we eat, salt plays a role in providing flavor and texture and enhancing color. Many disease-causing bacteria are unable to grow in the presence of salt. So number one reason why I know the world can't be destroyed right now, because you're here. You're the salt of the earth. You preserve the planet. Now, it doesn't say we can't make the planet a bad place to be, but it can't be completely destroyed because you're here. But you're not just supposed to be here to preserve it. You're supposed to be here to enhance it, to bring out the colors, to make it the best that it can be. That's why you're here. And instead of taking up the mentalities of, you know, it is the last days and things are just going to be worse. Yeah, it's going to be worse in the world. But why don't we make it better in the church? Why don't we make it better in our communities? Well, you know, racism has always, always been here. Well, why don't we stand up and say, not while I'm here? Well, food and quality is just, it's everywhere. Well, what about not in our communities? And not adopting the world's methods to make a change, but getting in the word and seeking the Holy Ghost and making a stand. And actually being allowed to say, no, not here. Why? Because we're here. We're the salt of the earth. And Jesus goes on and says, we are the light of the world. I'll share more about that on Faith in the Morning this week. But if we lose our saltiness and dim our light, 
we cannot accomplish our job as resistance. If we lose our saltiness and dim our light, we cannot accomplish our job as a resistance. No, last week we talked about getting yourself in a place where you can receive the vengeance and recompense of God, for God to make things right in your life. And one of the things the Holy Spirit began to say at the end of the experience was about people who were making their decisions in their life, even good things in their life, based off of bad things that were told them when they were a child. Tell them that you're, people who told you you're never going to be anything, that you're nothing, and told you all these negative curses over your life. And you responded, instead of believing it, which was good, but you responded saying, you know what, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to be something. I'm going to be somebody. And now that you're 30, 40, 50, 60, you're still trying to be somebody to prove them wrong. And so although you're doing the right thing, your motive is wrong. And you're not fully being who God wants you to be because now you're living in response to their words and instead of response to God's word. And so you're not fully experiencing the life God has for you. And no one will know it except you and the Holy Ghost. People will look at your life and say, wow, they're doing everything they're supposed to do. But the motive in the heart is wrong. Because you've been wounded. Because you've been hurt. You've been offended. Someone didn't do what they were supposed to do for you when you were a child. And now you're living and making decisions based off of that hurt those decades ago. I was talking to Another minister recently, I said, there's an old Pentecostal saying that I heard a long time ago. Keep your rivers pure. Keep your rivers pure. Because it talks about the rivers of life flow from us. Should be refreshing the world. But if there are contaminants in our river, if there are pollutants in our river, instead of bringing refreshing, we're bringing pollution. And so what we talked about that decision-making process last week, that's part of it. But there's other things that can take away your saltiness and dim your light and pollute your rivers. And we won't even get to cover it all today. But it's fear and shame. Fear and shame. Fear and shame will pollute your river. It'll take the saltiness from your salt and dim the light of your life. See, 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love because fear, because perfect love casts out or evicts or flushes out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect or matured or grown up in love. We love him because he first loved us. That word for torment there in 1 John means punishment. That word for torment there in 1 John means punishment. Punishment is defined as the affliction of some kind of pain or loss upon a person for a misdeed, transgression of a law or command. It is suffering, pain, or loss that serves as retribution. It is the imposition of an undesirable, unpleasant outcome upon a group or individual meted out by an authority. In the scripture, the other time this Greek word was used was in reference to hell. Fear brings with it the torment of hell. So you're saved heading to heaven. But you're experiencing hell on earth because of fear. Now, what has been in my heart this week as I've been thinking about this topic is a lot of times when we think about fear, we actually think about fright. 
instead of fear. Let me give you these definitions real quick. I'll put them in the app for you to look at as well. I found this. It says, fear is to be afraid of someone or something as likely to be dangerous, painful, or threatening. Fright is a sudden, intense feeling of fear. Phobia is an extreme or irrational fear or aversion to something. And panic is a sudden, uncontrollable fear or anxiety, often causing wildly unthinking behavior. All of those things are forms of fear. But too often, we resist the fright and not the fear. Because fright can show up at any time. And before we close, can I allow you just into my thinking process of what I've been doing leading the church for the last year and a half? Because this has been an interesting year and a half. Making sure that I'm making my decisions based off of faith and wisdom and not fear and fright. And so back in December 2019, I heard of COVID-19. I was watching. I was watching the markets. I saw possibly this could hit the United States. It moved a lot quicker than I thought it would. And so while we saw it coming, we began to make plans. What would happen if we couldn't meet in a building? How long would that take? What was like we started coming up with different contingency plans and researching. And I began to look at different things. I looked at the different reports. You know, last year, I don't know, was it March, April, I was on a call with the governor. The governor had all the pastors on the call, giving them information and making certain requests of them and gave us access to his medical official. So I got that information. I looked at what the CDC said. I looked at many sources of information, different medical journals. Developed a plan. I sent it to our nurses and our medical people here at Faith. I said, hey, I want to know what you guys think about this. And develop a plan on how to reopen. I looked at what other nations were doing who were doing it right. So we come up with the right plan. But this whole time, I'm making sure that I'm operating by faith and wisdom and not fear. Because wisdom will take precautions. But if you don't pay attention to what is guiding you, you think you're operating by wisdom. And it's actually fear. Because there will be times up here I'm preaching, preaching the word, and all of a sudden, it got kind of hot up here. And I'm preaching. The enemy says, see, you caught it. You caught the COVID. You're up there preaching on healing. You're sick up there. You're sick. And this is what's in my ear as I'm preaching to you. And I'm thinking, like, why am I hot? I'm kind of sweating. What's going on? To find out later that Deacon Greer turned on the heat because somebody was cold. So I'm up here resisting fright. It wasn't fear. It was fright. But it was caused by something else. And so what I had to do over the last year and a half, not for me, for my family, for this congregation, make sure I'm operating by wisdom and faith and not fear and not fright. And that's what you're going to have to do in your life. Are you operating by faith and wisdom or are you operating by fear? People around you won't be able to tell. Now, there's also another way you can operate by foolishness. Not everything is faith or fear. Some is foolishness and presumption. We won't cover those things today. And you have to do what Hebrews 4.12 tells us. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the deciding asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Thoughts are deliberations and consideration. That's what that word means. The word intentions means understanding manner of thinking and feeling. And so you have to spend time in the word and examine your thoughts, examine your motives, 
examine your own heart. What is leading me? Is it wisdom or is it fear? Because there's a lot of people who pass on wisdom and it's actually bitterness in disguise. Oh, I don't want you to go through what I went through, so don't trust nobody, don't trust anyone. That's not wisdom, that's bitterness. That's hurt. Dressed up as wisdom. And sometimes fear puts on the suit of wisdom. So what do you have to do? You have to spend time in the Word. You have to spend time in prayer to where you can quiet out your emotions, quiet out the feelings of your body, quiet out the thoughts of your mind, and follow peace. It says, let peace act in your heart as an umpire. And so, when you're doing this, like, well, do I go to this place? Well, do I have peace and go into this place? And just because you had peace about going to that place one day doesn't mean you have peace going the next day. What do you do? You check every time you go. You're following the leading of the Holy Spirit on the inside. A lot of times we want a booming voice from heaven, but that's not the number one way he leads us. It's through peace. Everyone's experienced it in one form or the other, usually on the negative side. Well, something told me not to do it after they ran into some type of tragedy or some type of accident. Believers and non-believers all says something. It's not something, it's someone. He's the Holy Spirit who is bearing witness with your spirit, giving evidence to your spirit, giving peace or the lack of peace of your spirit, trying to help you navigate this life. And so one of my challenges for you this week, every decision you're making, your thoughts and your process, planning for this summer, plan, all these things, check your heart. Are you led by wisdom and faith? Or you've been led by fear? Or are you just being reckless, not paying attention to faith or fear? Like, I'm just going to do whatever feels right. Praise the Lord. Check your own heart. Spend some time with God this week. How do I go forward? How do I make these decisions? How do I make these plans? Because you can live your whole life thinking you're operating by wisdom and actually be fearful. And instead of using wisdom, because it says wisdom builds walls. So why do you build walls? Wisdom says to build walls. Build walls of protection. It says money is a wall. It says wisdom is a wall. Instead of building your protections like you know you should, you're doing all these other things because of fear. And the thing is, when you build something out of fear, it's not as stable as something you build out of wisdom. And you'll wonder, like, I did what was right, but the foundation of that wall is fear, so it crumbles. Because it tells in Hebrews 2 that Satan controls people through the fear of death. So why would a wall that's rooted in fear stand before his attack? It's his wall now. So I encourage you to spend some time. The Holy Ghost is talking to you about stuff even now because the word is going forth. And the word exposes something on the inside of you. But spend time in this mindset this week to hear from heaven about the direction of your life. Hear from him. Listen to him. We'll pick up here next week and a little bit after that because some of you aren't being led by fear. You're being led by shame. You're a perfectionist because you still feel guilty about something that happened a long time ago. Everybody else thinks you look good. You're doing good. But it's guilt. It's shame. And Jesus bore your shame. And it says those who believe in God will never have to be ashamed. 
It says he was delivered or he died for your sins, but he was raised for your justification for you to be declared not guilty. So guilt, shame, fear, offense are bad motives to make good decisions. They will pollute your river and take the saltiness from your salt and dim your light. And when you try to resist the enemy, you notice he's not fleeing. Because why you're making your decisions is rooted in him. See, the thing is, a lot of people focus on behavior modification. This behaviors you probably do need to change. The word of God deals with behaviors, but the word of God goes further. It looks at motives. It looks at roots. Why are you doing what you're doing? And it's not saying you're doing a wrong thing, but why are you doing that? Because if you build based off of wrong motives, your house won't be stable during the storm. And the storm comes to everybody. But those that are built on the rock, what is the rock? Coming to Jesus, hearing Jesus, and doing what he says. And those who build with wisdom, as we talk about Proverbs, can stand the test of time. But if your foundation, even if you're saved, because the other foundation, not someone who never came to Jesus, is the ones who came to him, heard what he had said, but didn't do it. So that means you can build your house, be saved, and the storm wreck your house. And you can build on the foundation, not use wisdom, or not build the right way, and your house falls, but you still got a foundation. But we're not talking about just having a foundation. We're talking about having a life that stands the test of time. A stable life, which means everything we do, all the decisions we make, we have to bring it back to the word and check with our hearts. Do we have peace with this? So that means we don't put ourselves in situations that we can't get out of because what happens if you just missed it? But now you tied yourself to this for 40 years. Did you give yourself time, accurate time to stop and pray and think and hear from heaven? And say, so, okay, God wants me to go this way. Well, along the way, have you checked in to make sure you're still going the right way and doing the right things? Wisdom is the principal thing. So in all you're getting, get understanding, get wisdom so that you can build your life. And make sure faith and wisdom are your motives instead of fear, shame, offense, trying to prove somebody. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You just live for the audience of one, him. Which means you need to get out of your own mind. Because too many of you, even if you're doing the right things, you're doing it to prove yourself to yourself because you don't have a high opinion of yourself. The scriptures don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, which means you are to think of yourself highly, but you don't cross the line. What's the line when you look down on others? Or what's the other line when you think you know more than Jesus? The scripture also says stand to your feet because I won't be able to cut off. Stand to your feet. The scripture also says, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor as we love ourself, which means you're supposed to love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And if you don't love 
yourself. That's another route to make decisions to build unstable lives. Because if you don't love yourself, now you're going to try to look for that love in the wrong place. Whether it's fame online, your boss appreciating you, trying to get all that lack of self-love that you need from your spouse, from your children, from your grandchildren. When if you would get inside right, because you spent that time with the word, and you followed the wisdom of God, spent time with God where he can expose and put his finger on things. Like this short message, I've just been putting, that the Holy Spirit has been putting his finger on things. That you don't just stop right now, you keep focusing on that going forward. Okay, God, how do I uproot that? Because I might have been doing this for a long time. How do I get rid of that? How do I change that? What's my next step? All that comes to you as you begin to seek his face. So lift your hands towards heaven. God's talked to you about some things. And just tell him, yes, I'll do whatever you say, sir. Just show me what to do. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.